0: You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. If the Lord spent so much time in prayer alone, how much more should we? And yet we often neglect that. Thank you for that reminder, Miss Sally. Psalm 107, continuing... In this series, within a series, if you would, we're through our series of Man Overboard, going overboard for the Lord, living an abundant life. We talked about living uh, in abundance of suffering, but whenever you do that for the Lord's sake, He always gives comfort. We talked about living in abundance of uh, praise, and that's what we are going to continue in today. Psalm 29.2 says, give unto the Lord glory due unto his name. To say that something is due implies something that's needful, right? Not something that is optional. When that bill is due, that is not optional to pay. Whether you think that or not, they're going to be coming for you. And we told these three statements here about this verse. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Statement number one, there is never a time when God doesn't have glory due unto his name. Number two, there are often times when we are overdue in our payments. Number three, when we do praise the Lord, let's learn how to praise him more than the minimum amount. We need to figure out how to abound in praise to the Lord. I I know that you praise the Lord. You probably did uh, this morning when you prayed. Uh, Maybe you did just when you were singing a little while ago. You saw that as praising the Lord, and certainly it is. But can your praise to the Lord be considered abundant? Or do we kind of just do it maybe when we need to and haven't really taken time to thank God for who he is and what he's done? Psalm 107 begins with, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Now that right there is enough to praise the Lord. If his mercy endures forever, our praise should endure forever. If you ever lose your song, if you ever lose your joy, if you ever lose your smile, if you ever lose your praise, just remember the everlasting mercy of God, right? And that should give you a little bit to praise the Lord for. But God is so much more than merciful, isn't he? I mean, mercy is just one of the things that the Lord gives to us. Mercy is just the door, if you will, that all of the other blessings flow from God to man. No other blessings could come without mercy. There's a reason, studying through, um, looking through Leviticus and, um, yes, Leviticus. Why was it called the mercy seat? Why of all things, why why not the seat of grace or the righteousness seat or the holy seat? Why the mercy seat? Because of all things, without mercy, it is, it is because of his mercies that we are not consumed. His mercies are renewed every morning. His righteousness, he is, he is certainly righteous, he's certainly holy, he is certainly gracious. But before all of that, he is merciful to you and I. Because of our sin, our sin, he doesn't have to look upon our sin, he doesn't have to give us a chance to get it right, but he does. Psalm 107 reminds us not only of the fact that God is worthy of our praise, but it also shows us the reasons why he's worthy of our praise. And it is clear, you can read through Psalm 107, and you should on your own time, and kind of get ahead of me a little bit. It's clear it's describing God's relationship with Israel, but it goes for any child of God. Any child of God can find themselves in this chapter of 107. Why should we abound in praise to the Lord? Last week we looked at, well, for one reason, he redeemed us from our bondage. That's good enough. He saved us from our sins. Think of how Israel was in slavery to Egypt and then later in captivity in Babylon. So we were slaves to sin and we were captives to sin. Jesus says in John 8, 34, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And it was Jesus who found us in the prison of sin, saved us, redeemed us with his own precious blood. Now, could we not take the rest of our lives there and praise him for all that he has done? If you're here tonight and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, don't leave this place without knowing. You can know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die. We talked to so many people over the last weekend I think I know, I hope I know. I won't even go to a football game without knowing that I have a ticket. And yet people are gambling their eternal soul on I think so and I hope so. If you get there to heaven and you're not going, that eternity is a long time to be wrong. Make sure you know that Jesus is your savior. He will redeem you. There's room at the cross for you. You can be saved today. So he redeemed us from our bondage. But then we have to wonder, what's next? Did the Lord save you just to save you? Did he save you just so that you could punch a ticket to heaven? I think if the only reason the Lord saved us is so that we could go to heaven when we die, we would go there right away. Now, that doesn't sound like a bad thing. Heaven sounds sweeter all the time. But he has us here. I told some people on Saturday that I was able to lead to the Lord. I just took six or seven verses from this book to show you how you could know for sure you're going to heaven. What do you think all of the other verses are for? It must be because we're here for a reason. It must be because there's something we need to learn. It must be because there's somewhere we need to go. It must be because he wants us to grow in some way or another. Yes, he redeemed us from our bondage. But now that we are free, what are we supposed to do? that's the question now that we're free what are we supposed to do and he answered Jesus said to all of his followers come follow me we are supposed to follow him to grow closer to him that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering that is what we are supposed to do we redeemed not him we're redeemed not so we can stay in the bondage of the sin that he freed us from but so that we can serve him and serve him alone. We're redeemed not to keep wearing the chains of the old man, but to put off the old man and learn how to put on the new. We could put it this way. Every redeemed child of God has a journey to make. Every redeemed child of God has a journey to make. And that is the statement that my entire message is based off of right here. Salvation from sin is but the first step in that journey. You need to take that first step. Salvation is the foundation if you're trying to build a superstructure on something that doesn't have a foundation, it doesn't matter how precious the building is, going to fall down. Salvation is the first step in our new life for Christ. And it's God's desire not only to redeem us from our bondage, but then to get us to the point where we learn how to live a dedicated life to our Redeemer. He died for us so that we could live for him. And that's a journey that every believer is called to take. Now, what every redeemed child of God finds out very quickly, as soon as you decide to take that journey, tell me, how many of you, you've been saved for 50 years or Raise your hand. Karen, years or longer. Wonderful. How many of you have been saved? Brother Fiji, 50 years or longer. How many of you, 30 years or longer, you've been saved 30 years or longer? You started that journey a long time ago. How many of you 20 years ago? How many of you, let me think. Can I do math? No, not 20 years yet. 20 years coming up in three years. Okay, so how many more than 15 years ago? More than 15 years ago. How about 10 years ago? How about recent? Maybe maybe less than 10 years you decided to make that decision. It didn't take you a month, did it? to find out it's not always easy. They don't tell you everything at the beginning, do they? (laughs) Now, don't get me wrong. There's the fine print here. It's like when you make a purchase on Amazon, they say, do you agree with the terms and conditions, and you just hit agree? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The terms and conditions are right here. And you realize it's not a game. This is a battle. It happens very quickly. You engage in spiritual warfare every day. You realize that? Sometimes we're so oblivious, aren't we? Today I was dealing with something in, in, in my office trying to study. My speakers were going all crazy. They would go up and then they would go down. They'd cut off and they'd, they'd stop and then they'd play again a different song that wasn't even there. I know who that is. Oh, pastor, you're just reading into it. No, no, no. He's the person power of the air. I'm studying God's word so that I can feed God's people. I know exactly who that is. There's a story of Martin Luther, as he was studying, he said, he, he said, I felt, the presence, I felt the presence of the prince and power of the air so much in the room, I grabbed my inkwell and threw it and ruined three of my books. Now, I've never had to do that before, but I didn't have an inkwell. Someone buy me an inkwell and I might throw it. You find out very quickly it's not always easy. If it was easy, everyone would make the journey, Okay. I'm not here to sugarcoat it for you. This is a Wednesday night. This is a battle that we're in. And the enemy doesn't care about you. He's the enemy. He hates you. He hates your wife. He hates your husband. He hates your children. He hates the stand that you take. He can't take you to hell, but he will bring hell to you. And I'm going to keep saying that until we realize we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the prince and powers of the air, principalities, rulers of darkness in this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. But praise the Lord, we serve a God that loves us. And he says, what can separate us from the love of God? Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world? Oh, all the same things. No, no. The Lord is always there for you. But it's not always easy. If it was easy, everyone would run the race that was set before them. But there's sin and weight that distracts us while we run our race, isn't there? We're supposed to lay aside the sin and the weight. Being redeemed doesn't exempt you from trouble. Not one person who has ever decided to take the journey of obedience to the Lord has ever done so without trouble. And you will not be the first. Did Abram journey from Ur without trouble? Did Israel journey from Egypt without trouble? Did Judah journey from captivity in Babylon without trouble? Did Paul journey from his old life to the new life without trouble? Do we journey from our bondage in sin without trouble? Certainly not. And in these verses here, it kind of talks about our journey a little bit. Sometimes along the journey, Christian, you may feel it's an unclear way. Look in verse 4. They wandered in the wilderness. How many of you have been walking along in your Christian life and found yourself asking, what am I supposed to do now? Where do I go from here? You look around at your circumstances, you look around at your options, and not a thing seems good. You look around and all you see is more wilderness. To put, it, to put it simply, you feel like you're in the middle of a forest. You feel like you're in the middle of a desert and you have lost your sense of direction. You can't see the sun. You don't have a compass. You have no idea of where to go. Now, your soul isn't lost, is it? Your soul isn't lost. People in that position, Christians, in that, well, I must not be saved. Stop. Once you are saved, you are always saved. You cannot lose your salvation. Your soul is not lost. You are redeemed. You're a child of God. But you're lost as to what your next step should be. And if the way being unclear isn't bad enough, there are many times when our journey is not only unclear, but it seems to be an un- As they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. It was on his journey of faith that Elijah said, I alone am left. It was on his journey of faith that Jeremiah said, I sat alone because of thy hand, Lord. It was on his journey of faith that Paul said, all men forsook me. Listen, it's not uncommon on your journey of faith. It's not uncommon as a Christian to feel alone. Many Christians have found themselves bereaved of people who they thought who they wished would be by their side for the rest of their life. But sometimes spouses can pass. Friends can forsake. Family can disown. And our way becomes solitary. But there's another kind of solitude that can be even harder. Sometimes we're surrounded by people, and yet none of them can help You've been in that situation before. Sometimes you're surrounded by people and none of them want to help. Job was surrounded by his friends when he said, miserable comforters are ye all. And just a little later in the chapter, he looks up to God and he says, God, thou hast made desolate all my company. He was surrounded by people. But he was still alone. Charles Spurgeon said, Solitude is such a great intensifier of misery. That's why misery loves company. Loneliness can turn even a paradise into a wilderness. How horrifying to wander in the wilderness, but what horror of horrors to do so alone. And sometimes our journey of faith feels that way no sense of direction, no sense of companionship. It's unclear. It's unaccompanied, and it's uninhabited. The Bible says they found no city to dwell in. You see that in verse 4. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. What is a traveler looking for a city for? Well, a pillow to lay his head upon. But you go through times in your Christian life where there is no pillow, no bed to rest your body, No place to settle your mind. No basin to even wash your feet. No roof to shelter from the rain. No walls to hinder the cold. No fireplace to warm your hands. No door to protect from the beasts of the field. We've all had times like that. And if you haven't, it's coming. And there's a reason why. Stay with me. I'm not trying to depress you, I'm trying to be honest. We've all had times like that where we're exhausted and we're worn. And we think, you know, it would sure be nice just to have a little break. Just a little break. But Murphy's Law is in full effect. Lord, just a little break. Just one day off. Have you ever thought that? All I need is one day off. All I need is one coworker to leave me alone. All I need is, is one vacation. That's it. Just one vacation. And yet how many times have you taken that vacation and then you need a vacation from your vacation, right? I just need one kind word from a friend. Just one. Just one pat on the back. just one Like a traveler who looks for a city to rest on his journey but can't find one. So there are times in the Christian life you look around throughout this world for a place to rest but you don't find what you're looking for, do you? Jesus said, come unto me, not the world, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What are we doing looking to the world for rest? What are we doing looking for a city to dwell in? Read Hebrews 13, 14. We have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Why are we looking for a city here? Yet it's so common for Christians when the way seems unclear and unaccompanied, we start looking for rest in all the wrong places. But the wilderness is an uninhabited place. There's no rest to find there. And that makes it an unsatisfying way. If you're taking notes so far, it's sometimes your Christian life, sometimes the journey of faith takes you along a way that seems unclear. Unclear, unaccompanied, don't worry about it, I can hit a moving target. Unclear, unaccompanied, uninhabited, unsatisfying. you see there? Hungry and thirsty in verse 5. Hungry and thirsty. Don't be surprised when looking for a rest in the world leaves us hungry and thirsty. The world can feed you but it can never fill you. The world can feed you, but it can never fill you. The world can quiet your thirst for a little bit, but it will never quench it. The world will always leave you searching for what you can never find in it. It promises you everything at the gate. It's wide. It's got flashing lights. And it says everything you want is here you know what? The world is where wants are met, but never needs. If you want your wants met, the world can do that. But the world can't meet your needs. The world's table has never wet one throat or filled one belly. And the problem is, we are so spoiled that we have begun to confuse our wants and our needs. We have all these things. the Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Just just last week, we were out power for about three days. Some of us a little longer than that. And I mean, it was the end of the world for some people. I'm serious. Well, I went to H-E-B and Walmart and this place and this place and they didn't have... My diet Dr. Pepper, Well you'll survive. Who drinks Diet Dr. Pepper in here? Anybody? I'm so sorry. I didn't, I, I should have been less specific. <laughs> things, things that nobody drinks. My diet RC or something like that. I remember being on the flight from Bogota to wherever it was, I think Miami. There was a person next to me, I'm trying to sleep the entire time, the entire time they're complaining. My Wi-Fi isn't working, like, um, and they're like, "I'm sorry, sir. We can't help anything about that." But I can't watch my movie because we have all these things that we've surrounded ourselves with that we have true that we truly begin to believe. I have to have that. I've got to have it. I've got to have my career. I've got to have my salary. I've got to have my friends. I've got to have my hobbies. I've got to have my Wi-Fi. I've got to have my entertainment. If I don't get to watch my TV show on Fridays, I'm going to lose it. (laughs) I've got to have my vehicles. I've got to have my air conditioning. I've got to have this. I've got to have that. But when you find yourself in the wilderness, you will quickly realize all those things that you were convinced that you needed. None of them can satisfy you, not one. Even when we eat every day at the world's table, you'll still hunger. Even when you drink all the time at the world's fountain, we still thirst. And it's not long before the way becomes unbearable. The end of verse five, their soul fainted in them. Now I see you following along. What in the world does this have to do with abounding in praise? We'll get there. I promise you, we'll get there. Their soul fainted in them. I I don't think it needs any explanation to say you can only be hungry and thirsty for so long before you can't go any further. Even a body in perfect health cannot live when the spirit within is failing. You realize that? But when both body and soul are weary, And fainting, it will not be long before the Spirit follows. Spirit is our life, our pneuma. So when both body and soul are weary, body is hungry and thirsty, and the soul says, I can't do this any longer, the Spirit is soon going to follow. So I want you to think, what a desperate situation this is. This person that we find in verse 4 and 5 and 6, how how desperate is this situation. They can't see. They're unable to see because the way is unclear. They're unable to fellowship because the way is unaccompanied. Unable to rest because it's uninhabited. Unable to maintain because it's unsatisfying. And unable to endure because it's unbearable. What hope does that person have? You know the answer. What hope does that person have? Who can make The unclear, clear again. There's only one who can see the rainbow when the storm is still raging. Who can bring fellowship when all others forsake? There's only one who promises, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Who can bring rest when we have no place to lay our head? There's only one Who can give you sweet dreams of heaven, even when your pillow's a stone like Jacob? Who can bring satisfaction when all else proves to fall short? There's only one that said, I am the bread of life. And he that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Who can renew our strength and give us wings like eagles when it seems like we can't take another step? boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And his name is Jesus. Our Lord and Savior, our Redeemer, our Shepherd. Just one call to him, just one prayer of faith. God, help me. God, I need you. Just One. And look at what happens. Look at what happens in verse 6. Would you read it together with me? Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. I I want to bring something out for you here that bothers me. What is the first word of verse 6? Then. Why then? Do you know what I mean by that? Why then? Why does it take us so long to cry to our Redeemer? Why? Do you realize that that word then at the beginning of verse 6 could have gone anywhere in verse 4 or verse 5? At any point, it could have said they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. Then they cried unto the Lord in their distresses or in their trouble and he delivered them out of their distresses. They could have done that, but they didn't. It could say they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Then they cried unto the Lord. They had the opportunity. It could have said hungry and thirsty. Then they cried unto the Lord. They had the opportunity. But why did they wait? Why do we wait until we make the statement, I can't do this anymore, and then we cry unto him? Why? Why do we do that? Why do we wait so long? Why is prayer our last resort and not our first option? Why? We're so proud. Sometimes we're so blind. We find ourselves wandering around. I can do this. I got myself into it. I'll get myself out. No, I'll cry into the Lord in your trouble, and he'll deliver you from your distresses. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Sometimes we wait so long, and yet... And yet, when we do cry out to him, has there ever been one time where he hasn't led you out of it? I I call for anybody to stand up right now and tell me a time when God didn't see you through. Anyone? Never been a time. He's always seen you through. And the God that that delivered will deliver again. I guarantee you, every time we're confused about which way to go, every time the way is unclear, every time we feel alone in this life, every time we find no rest for our souls, every time we're unsatisfied, every time we find ourselves saying, I can't do this anymore, it's because we're not relying on him. And think about it. Think about it. It's when our way is clear. It's when we're surrounded by friends and family. It's when we're rested. It's when we're fat and filled. It's when the way seems easy. We forget about him. Lord, the way is clear. I know where I'm supposed to go. I got people around me. I know what I'm supposed to do. Everything's good. And that's why. We read about how, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed out of the hand of the enemy and gathered them out of the lands. And then the next thing you know, they're wandering. Why do the redeemed sometimes wander? Why does the Lord let that happen? Read about when he brings the Israelites out and how he made them turn in some situations. The Bible says that God made the Israelites turn at a certain point. And it brought them to where the Red Sea was in front, the Egyptians were behind, and mountains were on either side. The Lord told them to go there after he had just redeemed them. And then what do the people say? Why did the Lord bring us out into the wilderness so that he could kill us? And Moses has to say, fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. But why do the redeemed sometimes wander? Why do we sometimes find no city to dwell in? Why do we sometimes hunger and thirst? Why do we sometimes get to the point where our soul is done? Sometimes God allows our way to become unclear. He allows our way to become unaccompanied. He allows it to be uninhabited. He allows it to be unsatisfying and even unbearable to bring us to the point where we have nowhere else to turn but him. He brings us to that point. Because he's trying to teach us we desperately need him. We completely need him. We constantly need him. And he wants to teach us, even though I'm all you have, what else do you need? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You're, think about what Job said. Lord, thou hast, what did he say? Thou hast made desolate all my company. Was that not true about Job? In a day, he lost all of his children. In a day, he lost all of his children. Soon after, his wife comes up to him and says, curse God and die. And then his friends come up and say, what'd you do, Job? You obviously did something. What did you do? Did you commit adultery? Did you turn aside an orphan or a widow? You must have done something to royally mess this up. And Job looks at God, thou hast made desolate all my company. I've got no friends. I've got no kids. Even my wife has turned against me. I've got nobody. But wasn't God trying to teach him? Job, the only person you need, the only company you need along this journey is me. And once he realized it, then God gives twice what he had before. Never forget, child of God if we understand that we can't be saved unless he redeems us, right? Can we be saved unless he redeems us? Can we find freedom from our bondage unless he redeems us? If we understand that we cannot be saved unless he redeems us, we have to understand we cannot live unless he leads us. If we can't be saved on our own, if we can't start this life of faith without him, how are we supposed to live the life of faith without him? If we need grace in order to be saved, we need grace in order to live. We can't do anything without him. Without him, we can do nothing. With him, you can do all things. Think of all the times that God has led us out of the wilderness and into a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. Tell me about it. And for his wondrous works, wonderful works to the children of men. Why? For he satisfieth the longing soul. That soul that was fainting in verse 5, the Lord satisfies it in verse 9. And filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Not with vegetables of Egypt, but with manna from heaven. Not with the portion of the king's meat and the wine which he drinks. But things that make us fat and fair, Daniel said. They were fatter and fairer, ten times better. Can you say, Pastor, I feel that my journey of faith is taking me through the wilderness? Well, you have a choice. You can follow your own way, but you'll just end up wandering. Because we don't know the way. So we'll end up wandering, and you can seek help from man, but there are some things that man cannot help with. Many things that man cannot help with. And you can seek rest from the world, but you won't find what you're looking for. And that's going to lead to you being hungry and thirsty and coming to the day when you say, I can't do this anymore. My soul is fainting within me. That's one choice. Or we can call upon the one who promises to lead us through it. And he will. Every time we call upon him, he'll lead us through. And the sooner you turn to him, the sooner he can lead. When you wholly throw yourself in the rock of ages... He won't fail you. He can't fail you. He promised in his word. He has obligated himself. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Whenever you need him, he's there. Why should we abound in praise to the Lord? Well, number one, he redeemed us from our bondage. Number two, he leads us through every wilderness. He sees us through every unclear way. And sometimes he loves us enough to let the way become unclear and remove friends and family and get us to the point where we realize, Lord, you're all I've got. If you don't help me, I'm done. But in that moment, he'll never fail you. Even when your journey of faith leads you through the valley of the shadow of death, do we fear any evil when our shepherd walks before us? And as long as we follow him, when, if he leads and we follow, surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. So praise the Lord. Abound in praise to him. You may be in the wilderness. You may be hungry. You may be thirsty. You may be saying right now, I can't do this anymore. You have a redeemer. You have a savior. Lead you? He forgave you. Certainly he'll lead you.